words on water. This episode is brought to you by Kimley Horn, a national full-service consulting firm providing a broad range of engineering, planning, and environmental services to public and private sector clients. Kimley Horn's innovative project designs include collection, transmission, and treatment solutions throughout the U.S. Kimley Horn recently completed an innovative biosolids recycling design, build, operate project in partnership with Merrill Brothers in Pasco County, Florida. The finished site was created in compliance with new biosolids regulations in Florida and optimizes the patented and sustainable Merrill Brothers process that converts aerobic sludge into fertilizer at significantly lower energy costs. Visit kimley-horn.com. Welcome to Words on Water, a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. This is the host, Travis Loop, going to talk with two guests about the topic of biosolids. Joined by Ted Merrill, he is vice president and co-owner of Merrill Brothers, a biosolids management company, and also by Wayne White, a vice president with Kimley Horn. Uh, Ted and Wayne, thank you both for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Travis. So this is a, a, a really key topic. Biosolids are so important to our industry. Uh, they provide tremendous benefits to our communities. So really looking forward to getting some perspective and knowledge from both of you. Um, you've worked in this space for a while. Very curious about how you have seen management of biosolids change over the past several decades, and maybe what kind of drove those changes. Uh, Wayne, your thoughts? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, being a child of the 70s, I remember growing up actually going down to a wastewater treatment plant with my father. And uh, at that time, biosolids were just laid out in, in what we call sludge drying beds. <laughs> and people from the neighborhood could go up there with their shovel and their buckets and <laughs> go scoop out the dried biosolids and take them and go put them in their in their plants around their gardens and things like that and you know that was pretty common uh during the 70s and along with the uh epa changes that came out we started seeing that there was a you know we were examining this more from looking at it as a waste and so folks all across the country started doing everything from land applying it out in the field as a soil amendment to just trying to get it to a, a landfill and covering it up and capping it. And so, you know, and then now that we look at it today, um, we started looking at it as an actual resource. And there's there's potential of creating a, a, a BTU in each one of these bricks that we now call biosolids to be able to use for fuel or we can make it into fertilizer. There's uh, so many beneficial uses now that we're finding uh, over this time that we've gone through this. Mm, awesome perspective. Uh, and you know, that's a, that's a place that not many kids grow up hanging out, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so you, you had a, you had a special experience there. Ted, what what about from your perspective? What have what have you seen with changes over the years, and and why do you think those changes took place? 
Yeah. So in our history, um, especially when the 503 regulations came out, it really kind of changed the the whole, um, I guess, perspective from the wastewater end of things on on finally having something to measure up against. Uh, used to, you would land apply based on the cannon exchange capacity of the soil or the soil's ability to absorb the, any metals that might be present in the biosolids. But when the 503s came out, it gave you something to measure by. And so now all of a sudden, wastewater plants had an opportunity to to kind of see how they how they stood up um, to some of the others, whether they were going to be a class B plant or a class A plant. And, and so they started to drive uh, some of the the philosophies related to their solids management on how to continue to make something better than it was before. So then as that continued to happen, the quality of biosolids increased. You started to see, uh, you know, pretreatment programs became uh, more enhanced. And so uh, the quality of that product was better. And so the demand started to increase. And at the same time, um, in the farming world, the genetics related to the crops that were going to be utilizing those biosolids, they continue to enhance. And to the point now where the application windows uh, in the spring of the year, especially for land application, have become extremely tight because the genetics that are available to the farmers now are so demanding that they need to get those that, that grain in the ground on certain days in order to get the, the heat degree units to produce the best yield. And so it's, it, it continues to present new challenges. You couple that with some of what we've seen the last um, four or five years with the uh, increased costs in commercial fertilizers because of the ability to manufacture those. Um, you start to see an increased value in biosolids, but a smaller window to go into. And so we kind of reflect back to the 503 regulations again, and everybody's saying, okay, well, if class B was good, class A has got to be better. So let's, let's try to make this into a marketable commodity. Hmm. And so those are just kind of a, the evolution of where we see biosolids have come from and where they're headed to um, as people start to continue to upgrade their, their solids management capabilities at the wastewater level. Hmm. I want to ask you about uh, approaching biosolids from a little more holistic perspective or kind of, uh, you know, looking at the whole design, build, operate flow and trying to be a little apply some creativity to that. Um, How has how has looking at that whole process, being creative with it, allowed for you know, the benefits of biosolids to be harnessed and, and kind of increased? So from the biosolids management part or the whole solids management part, uh, whether it's done independently by utilities or whether they do it in cooperation with other utilities, we're seeing a lot of collaboration on on how to tie the end use together with the, the production mechanism. And wastewater processes in general um, typically seem to get more and more sophisticated and qual- uh, require higher and higher um, educated and quality operators to be able to run them. And, and so that's where the design build operate is really kind of stepped in to say, let's let's bring somebody in in-house that's got that capabilities where our operators can do what they do best and they, they operate a wastewater plant. But as far as the biosolids processing and making Class A or making a marketable product or actually marketing the product, let's uh, let's work with some of the private industry to kind of help uh, develop those those three P relationships. And so we've seen the the excitement with that growing all over the, the U.S. 
uh, and especially the collaborative ones. We're getting more and more uh, interest in those as well. Hmm. Wayne, is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to say probably the um, one of the, the greatest benefits that we've seen by participating in those types of programs is that the speed to delivery of the of the project itself, whenever you have a design build operate, um, since the a lot of times the builder and the operator are one or one entity, you are working with the decision makers as you're going through the process. So like whenever we would do a project with Ted um, with Merrill Brothers, we were we were able to make decisions on the fly. So we didn't have to wait to go through a bunch of other things that may take, you know, add weeks to schedules. And in today's economy, if you can save time and get equipment, you know, we're all filling the supply chain issues of trying to get equipment landed to sites. Uh, it really helps us bring speed to market of the end product. Mm. One of the other things that's happened over the past several years, several decades, of course, but just the change in technology continues to accelerate, right? Uh, just, just rapidly changing on this exponential kind of curve. I'm wondering what role the evolution of technology has played, uh, you know, in the biosolid space, especially, uh, you know, in, in management and getting those those benefits out of it? You know, we've, we have definitely seen um, a big change in technology. And probably, I mean, there's there's been new ways of, of getting the water out of the solids. You know, there's everything from belt presses to screw presses to centrifuges and things along that. And um, one of the things, a lot of these, a lot of this equipment now brings a lot of data back to you. And so you're able to make operational decisions with this data that you not that you couldn't do necessarily before. And so um, there's co- there's a couple of schools of thought out there. One of them is more technology is better. And then also there's there's some pretty clever ways of doing things that aren't exactly high tech and uh, something I know Merrill Brothers has done. And we'll probably talk about as an example, but and I'll let Ted talk about it. But sometimes there's just, you know, good old things like the the energy in the sun that can do things to dry the biosolids to a point before you process them that gets them to that perfect place. And so watching the technology and learning how to apply it and mix them together is uh, is probably one of the, the funnest parts about doing this job. Mm. Ted, anything you've seen from your side on on tech? Yeah, so uh, when I think about tech, a lot of times I think about uh, um, the changes that have happened just in, in trying to turn on and watch a, a, a show on TV. Uh, <laughs> when I can remember when some of the uh, – the the universal uh, channel changing remotes came out. It seemed like you had to try to find somebody in the youngest generation possible to just <laughs> figure out how to turn the TV on. And, and, and we fall victim to that to some degree. We think that uh, sometimes more tech is, is, is better because it, it utilizes things. But we, we also need to stay in our lane uh, to some degree to not to. Uh, overcomplicate things that that maybe don't need to be and and that doesn't mean that technology is bad but uh, sometimes we go back to our roots a little bit and that seems to to play out a little better and and that's where we've seen some of the labor issues related to the wastewater industry um, is that available pool of people that uh, have the ability to not only run a wastewater plant and are willing to get out there and clean a bar screen but yet they're also going to come in and, and run uh, you know um, 
SCADA programs uh, for, for monitoring and tracking. So pretty wide, wide range of, of demands there. So the, the technology can, can, can be a hindrance or it can be a good thing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I'm already uh I, I call my my kids to come help me with the uh i'm like how did these captions get on the tv can one of you guys please turn this off and you know they're already they're already my tech support for sure um <laughs> uh so you again you both have been working in this space you, you've done so many different projects out there I'm wondering if you could maybe just share an example or, or two about uh the positive impact for for biosolids for utilities and especially the the community and the users well, I'll speak uh, first from perspective of, uh, of our company. So we, we've started in the early 80s and been doing this a long time. And, and so as you have those experiences working with different utilities for so many years, you always run across this, this these ideas of things. And boy, if I just had a chance or time to try this, I'd like to do it at some point. And at least from our company's perspective, that's kind of where we are at as a company. And so we've really started dedicating a tremendous amount of time to research and development. And that's just to try to apply some ideas of how we might be able to do things differently. Um, and, and then taking a look at the technologies that are available to our industry that maybe have been around for a long time that, that just need some enhancement and but we recently, uh, with the assistance of Kim Lee Horn, um, worked with a utility out of uh, Florida, just north of Tampa, called Pasco County, and and we essentially took a couple older technologies, um, uh, greenhouse drying and belt drying, and and tried to combine them together in a unique way. So we took the the greenhouse model and then tried to just kind of put the greenhouse drying on steroids and allow the greenhouse to do what it does best, but yet not try to push it to its limit of what it can do based on its drying capacity. And then we took belt dryers and we, you know, belt dryers are used all over the country. And so we've, um, we've looked at those to say, well, how can you make a belt dryer more effective or more efficient? And uh, typically if you could go into it with a lot drier product, you might be able to do that. So we, we combine those two technologies, allowing the greenhouses to pre-dry biosolids to take it up to about 60% solids material. Mm. And then we send it into our pasteurizer now because we, we modified the belt dryers to make them um, quantifiable as a pasteurizer. And so then you're going into a belt dryer with a 60% solid instead of a 15 to 20. And you allow it the opportunity to pasteurize instead of just heat dry. And the combination of those two has just been a just been a fantastic result. We we've been able to produce a, a marketable product where we've got more demand than we have product to uh, to be able to sell. Mm. And and that's really kind of opened our eyes up to expand on that even further to say, you know what, our industry has not done a great job of marketing our finished products. You know, we 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 do a great job of treating products. We do a, a, a sufficient job of dewatering products, perhaps, but once we get to that final phase and we can put a check in the box that it's a Class B or a Class A, we just don't have the expertise in-house a lot of times to, to finish that out. And so that's what we've been doing by uh, pelletizing products into cylindrical pellets and being able to bag materials and, and just take away some of the negative connotations that you can associate to some of the of the processes that we currently use. 
And so that particular example is one that's worked out extremely well, and, and we're, we're working on that technology going into its second installation uh, out in Kennewick, Washington. And we're just excited about the, the opportunity as we continue to uh, uh, pursue all of those endeavors. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, speaking of, of out in Washington and I think you're, you know, you're in, in Florida there and you, you guys have worked a lot of different places. I'm always curious about how water management, different aspects of water management like biosolids uh, varies in, in different parts of the country. Um, could you talk a little, a little bit about that from, from the biosolids perspective? Sure. You know, uh, a lot of times, you know, the different geographies, the way I look at it and the way we talk about it a lot of times is the different geographies all have their own weather patterns. They all have their own humidity. You know, in Florida, if it's a 90 percent humidity day where we feel like it's a nice fall day <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're relatively excited, whereas our friends out in Phoenix probably uh, would totally disagree with us. Right. That would be a holiday because they would anticipate rain. But the impact that that has on the technologies that you can use and the of course, how much uh, what the extreme temperatures on both ranges are really affects a lot of the different technologies and the different ways that people handle it and also population density. You know, Ted, Ted kind of leaned into it a little bit earlier, but one of the things is we're seeing where we have more communities in a tighter knit area and a lot of what drove Pasco County to look at doing a regional um, facility for not only the county, but all the surrounding cities with it was the fact that they were being limited by where they could dispose of their biosolids. And um, Florida has a really high groundwater table. There's a lot of TMDL legislation out there that's driving and they're creating these places where it's more difficult to be able to land apply. And so in places like that, you know, you need to have a central way of handling it. And with tipping fees, at landfills going from $50 to $120 a metric ton, you know, the cost of disposing of them can be really limited. So, um, so it, it is interesting to see it happen. And we see everything from pelletizing units and, and dryer systems uh, that are made in over in Europe and brought into this country to really, you know, take a high level of technology to run and operate to, uh, there's still some sludge drying beds like my dad took me to that are in some of the smaller communities in more rural areas. Wow. Wow. Um, last question. Uh, save this one for last on purpose here. What everybody's talking about these days, PFAS. Uh, and there's, you know, certainly uh, the intersection of PFAS and biosolids is something that's coming up as well. Want to just get your perspective on the concerns around PFAS? Maybe Ted, what are your what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So when I think about PFAS, it, there's no question that is it's a hot button right now, and we've developed methods of being able to test um, to greater and greater levels to be able to determine. Uh, where it's at. When you talk about biosolids and in, in PFAS, there's um, the reason we know so much about it is because we test for it. And mm. and so when you compare that to other products and other things, I think we would be amazed at uh, how much we would find around us that we wouldn't even think about. Um, and so that's where the biosolids industry, in my mind, is so much better poised and prepared to, to deal with uh, determining thresholds or, or concentration levels 
again, I reflect back to the 503 regulations when they first promulgated one of the issues that they wanted to do was to determine, you know, metals concentrations levels in biosolids. And so, you know, they ran the whole risk assessment pathways for 14 different pathways to get those those constituents from a, a biosolids to a person. And and that that allowed them to be able to say, OK, we can have this much zinc or we could have this much copper or we could have this much lead. And and those those were very scientific ways of determining the risk factor uh, of what's really exposed. And I see PFOS as another one of those things that we need to do our risk assessment studies with and determine concentration levels that are acceptable and not acceptable, and then turn it back to the pretreatment to to get source elimination. And, and that's what would ultimately slow the cycle down is uh, by just stopping to produce it altogether. But it is everywhere. We've had situations where wastewater plants would hire us to clean out a digester that would have higher concentrations of PFOS that would have to go to a landfill and the landfill would say we're not going to take it because of PFOS levels and then the wastewater plant would tell the landfill we're not going to take your leachate because it has too much PFOS to bring back to our wastewater plant and so everybody knows it's there everybody knows it's everywhere Uh, so now let's just go through the science steps to to figure out how to to manage it properly and 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 be able to work around the issues yeah a lot of common sense perspective right there thank you for that well uh ted and wayne uh information-packed conversation here i appreciate your time and uh all your perspective here on biosolids thank you both very much Thank you, Travis. We're sure to appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Travis.